3: breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
4: A warm and friendly low. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the and Family Podcast. Got ourselves a tremendous podcast today as we head out to the great country of Canada in the second segment. That's where we find Joe Gallant. He does terrific work over there at FTM Bets. He hosts show dog day afternoon. You're able to catch that few days a week over on his YouTube feed. He's always on Twitter at GDog5000, posting that up. We're going to be chatting with him about what we've been seeing in terms of just totals, all the low-scoring games in general, and then we're going to turn it forward, take a look at some marquee matchups for Saturday as well. Also talk a little bit about some of these surprise teams who's benefited the most from these low-scoring games as well. So, great chat with Jill coming up in the second segment. Then, in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game, on the betting board, for this MLB Saturday as we touch them all. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at G underscore eighty one. Keep in mind letters EM. Amy does not matter, size per usual. Please just send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. By the five star review. Really didn't get in a lot of questions today, but we had a fun day of baseball on Friday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends in. Try to get to know these he seems a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. The Milwaukee Brewers were able to get it done in a low-scoring game against the Miami Marlins. to won the final. One of these rare six and a halfs that I wound up taking under. And, well, the under wound up getting there as Colton Wong in the first inning was able to go deep off of one. Pablo Lopez for a second home run of the season. And that's all Pablo Lopez would wind up giving up. As he goes seven innings, gives up that solo bomb, 11 strikeouts. He was terrific. And, on the other side, one Corbin Burns wound up giving up one solo run in seven innings himself as Aces Aguiar took him deep, fourth home run of the season, seven strikeouts for Burns, but then Devin Williams, Josh Shader, both of whom use 12 pitches or fewer, give you a perfect eighth and ninth inning, and that's the difference in this one. As for the Miami Marlins, Steven Okert scoreless inning, but Tanner Scott gives up a run without recording an out as Anthony Bender had to clean up the mess from there, so... That wound up being a little bit of an issue, and you did wind up having two caught stealings by Jacob Stallings in the same game, so that's not necessarily too terrific right there, as you also wound up having the Cincinnati Reds win again. This team had won three games in their first 29 days of the season. They've now won six in the last seven, as they win by a count of 8-2, to two as for the Reds, by the way, 15 out of their last 17 games have gone over the total. That is absolutely ridiculous as Mike Moustakis was pretty ridiculous in this one. His second and third home runs of the campaign. Gets his first one off of Mitch Thunder. Keller Wanted giving up five runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings, and then Heath Embry gave up three runs at in an inning including that home run, and he would give up another one as Brandon Drury. His seventh home run of the campaign for the rest of the Pirates. Bullpen wasn't too bad. J.C. Young, two scoreless innings, and Anthony Banda won a third inning scoreless, but for the Red Likes, a pretty solid start out of Tyler Mallew. And on the last season. I had a 230 ERA away from Cincinnati. He did wind up giving up a home run. Two runs in total over the course of six innings going deep. Ben Gamel, third home run season but the Reds bullpen stepped up. Alexis Diaz now is a 0.55 ERA. He gave you a scoreless setting. You wound up having Jared Solomon to step up and give you a scoreless setting and long Joel Kunal. So the Reds wind up getting another win. If you're taking a look out there in the Central Division of the National League, the team that couldn't get it done was the Chicago Cubs 4-3. to They wind up falling to the Arizona Diamondbacks as the Diamondbacks have played just four of their home games over the total this season. They've got one of the highest home under rates out there in all of baseballs. They do wind up going 3-13 of 13 with men in scoring position and for Zach Davies, not necessarily the world's greatest start against his former team. Three runs given up in five and two-thirds innings, but then from there, Ian Kennedy, Mark Melanson, a scoreless inning, and Kyle Nelson four outs out of the bullpen as for the Chicago Chicago Cubs, no home runs in this game. They do go two of three with men in scoring position, so they made the most out of their five hits, but Drew Smiley, Wound up not being so smiley after this one. Gives up 10 hits over the course of 6 innings, 4 runs in total. Bullpen from there did their part. Chris Martin, Robbie Gisellman combined for a scoreless inning and got a scoreless inning out of Connor Menes as well. But for the Arizona Diamondbacks, now 18-15 and 15 this season. So, they have been off to a relatively solid start. You've got this man off to a relatively solid start in his career as it was the first career start of one Chase Silseth and. He wound delivering six scoreless innings for the Angels, 2-0 the final. And for the Oakland A's, been a relatively sad offense thus far this season. They have now scored three runs or fewer in 14 out of their last 19 games. Aaron Loop, Ryan Tibera, Rossi Iglesias. They all give you approximately 13 pitches and all a scoreless setting in those 13 pitches as the man that wound up being really the difference maker in this one, Andrew Velasquez, gets his first throw of the season off of Dalton Jeffries soon. I'll call him a little bit of a tough luck loser. Gives up two runs over the course of six innings. From there, Kirby Sneed, Lutravino Sam Mall, they do their part. So the A's wind up giving up just two runs, but unable to get it done against it. Angels team that is now 22 and 12. So they have certainly been on a nice little roll here. Another team that's been on a nice roll all season long. That'd be the New York Yankees. They take it to the Chicago White Sox 10 to 4, the final. As for the New York Yankees, this is a team that all of a sudden they have really been able to get it going on the road as they have scored at least nine runs in three out of their last four road games. As Josh Donaldson goes deep in this one, fourth home run season, John Carlos Stanton gets his 10th home run season, Aaron Judge gets his 12th home run season. To put this into perspective, the Tigers this year have 13 as a collective and Joy Gallo is fourth as everyone wanted up getting tattooed. Vinny Velo, Vince Velasquez, gave up three out of those four home runs. I think Donaldson wound up hitting his off of Matt Foster, who gave up three runs in an inning. But Vinny Velo, seven runs given up in five innings. You do wind up having Bennett Sosa give you two scoreless innings and Ronaldo Lopez a scoreless inning. But and even though the White Sox were able to draw across four runs with Gavin Sheets, getting his fourth home run season, just one of ten with Ben in scoring position, Garrett Cole didn't need to be terrific in this one. Not bad, not terrific. He winds up giving up that home run. Three runs in total over course of six and a third innings. And Michael King, he gives you two and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen giving up a run. So the Yankees, they moved to 24 and 8 this season. So they have really been on one. The San Francisco Giants, after they wound up having some falters, they're back to 20 and 12 as they're riding a nice win streak and they wind up taking down the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of eight to two. As this is a San Francisco Giants team that all of a sudden, they have been able to string along six straight wins. as going deep for them in this one. Kirk Caselli, his first home run of the season. That winds up coming off of TJ McFarland, who's really having a little bit of a rough go. But three runs give it up, and he gets just two outs. Jordan Nix is longest start of the season. They're starting to stretch him out. Gives up three runs over the course of five innings. And then Pecky Daunton was able to combine with Jake Walsh for two scoreless innings, And then Nick Wickran, who had been looking relatively solid since coming over from Cleveland, gives up two runs while getting just one out before the Woodford. And Jake Woodford is able to give you a scoreless Good news for the Cardinals, you did wind up having Paul Goldschmidt get a home run. That's off of Zach Liddell's third of the season as Logan Webb, a solid start here for the San Francisco Giants. It's been a little bit tougher on this season, but gives up one run over the course of six innings. Zach Liddell gives up that home run to Goldschmidt in his inning, but Dominique Leon, Charlene Garcia, they're able to give you a scoreless inning, so the San Francisco Giants wind up being able to strike again, and for the St. Louis Cardinals, they played over 60% of their home games over the total. For the Colorado Rockies, the offense was not the issue on Friday, as they wind up being able to put up 10 runs, but they gave up two touchdowns to a Royal was averaging fewer than three and a half runs per game. 14 to 10. The final is Ryan O'Hearn gets his first home run season off of Carlos Estevez and starter Kyle Freeland gives one up to Andrew Benetendi, a second of the campaign and for Freeland, four two-thirds innings he gives up 12 hits, eight runs, six of which were earned. That is not a good stat line right there. Yuli's just seen he's giving you one and a third innings scoreless, but then Alex Colome really lights this game on fire, giving up four runs while getting just two outs. Carlos Aceva is the opposite. He gets four outs, gives up two runs in the process before Ty block is able to give you a scoreless setting. And I mean, for the Colorado Rockies, pair of home runs in this one, Sam Miller gets his first home run of the season off of Gabe Spear. And Spear also gives one up to Brendan Rogers, the second of the campaign for Spear. He winds up giving up three runs and goes one in the third innings. And for Zach Greinke, Hard to say that this was a very good start. He winds up getting a season-high four strikeouts, but gives up seven runs, five of which were earned in four and two-thirds innings. Bullpen was actually decent aside from Spear, as Josh j out Scott Barlow may combine to be able to give you two scoreless innings, and Dylan Coleman, a scoreless setting for the Royals, who have been as struggling at 10-19, wind up being able to get it done there. Also being able to get it done, how about the Minnesota Twins? They take down a Cleveland Guardians coaching staff that is right now dealing with a whole bunch of COVID. The players themselves are out there, but 12-8 to 8 the final in this one as Aaron Savali just continues his really bad season. A 9.85 ERA, gives up six runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. He was taken deep by a pair of gentlemen in Ode Palanco, who gets his fourth home run season and bucks in Byron Buxton. He's missed like 10 games this season, but he's got 10 home runs this season, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job there. You also wind up having Gary Sanchez go deep off of Brian Shaw. That is his second home run season. Then you wind up getting the first home run the season of Royce Lewis as well as he was also able to go deep off of Brian Shaw, who gave up five runs, including those two home runs, without getting a single out. Eli Morgan, Anthony Goose along with Sam Etiches from there combined for three and a third innings. Etiches gives up a run in his inning, but by and large they were able to do an okay job. And for the Guardians the offense was not the issue. Andre Semenes along with Oscar Mercado, both get their fourth home run season and you wind up having Austin Edges be able to get his third home run the campaign as for Minnesota. Sonny Gray didn't offer a lot of length. Got eight strikeouts in four and a third innings, but was only able to go those four and a third, giving up two runs. Griffin Jacks was used as a long guy and he got jacked up. Gets the win, but gives up four runs in two and a third innings. From there Yoan Duran, Emilio Pagan they both come in. Pagan gives up two unearned runs as he was hurt by a pair of errors out there in the field and Duran he winds up not giving up anything as Josh Smith also able to give you an out out of the bullpen. So the Twins able to get it done in the city of Minnesota. The Boston Red Sox they hit the road. They wind up getting a 7-1 to win over the Walker, Texas Rangers. As for Boston, Nick Pavetta, a very good start, gives up one run over the course of seven innings before Cutter Crawford winds up cleaning up the final two innings. And for the Boston Red Sox, they don't get it done with the deep ball, but five of eight with men in scoring position as Dane Dunning was unable to get her Dunning. Five runs, give it up in five and two-thirds innings. Garrett Richards, two innings, two runs, give it up in the bullpen for the Former Boston Red Sox, you did wind up having Josh Shorbridge give you a scoreless ending and Brett Martin out, out of the bullpen. But for the Texas Rangers, they wound up leaving this game with two guys that's on a bat in this one, hitting above a 231. It has not been going well for them. And for the Boston Red Sox, to say that it's going well for them would certainly not be the case as they are 12 and 20. But that is a little bit of a step in the right direction for them. This is also a little bit of a step in the right direction if you are a fan of the Detroit Tigers. 4-2, they wind up taking down the Baltimore Orioles. It's been an almighty struggle for the Tigers, who were 1-9 and nine in their last 10 games, entering into this one for the Orioles. Both of their runs come off of solo home runs, off of Jacob Barnes, as a matter of fact. Trey Boombo Mancini, second home run season. Anthony Santander is fourth for Barnes. He winds up giving up those two solo home runs without getting a single out, but Eduardo Rodriguez finds it being a very good start. six and two-thirds innings, scoreless. Andrew Chaffin was able to give you an out of the bullpen. Alex Lang, a scoreless inning, and then Gregory Soda and Will Vest combined for a scoreless ninth inning. And for the Detroit Tigers, they got their 13th home run of the season as a collective as Miguel Cabrera goes deep. Second home run season off of Jordan Lyles, who gives up four runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Lyles led the league in home run surrendered last season, by the way. You did wind up having two innings out of the bullpen scoreless from Danny Reyes, and you wound up having Logan Allen give you an out out of the bullpen as well. Bullpens for the Mariners and the Mets were well saw solid, but it was Seattle's who was able to reign supreme in their 2-1 victory as Matico Gonzalez. A very good start for Seattle. Six of two-thirds innings, giving up one run, but then Drew second rider able to give you a scoreless inning, and Paul Seewald, four outside the bullpen at Seattle. They get it done by going two of nine with men in scoring position. Just four hits in this one, but they were able to draw their walks. Max Scherzer, a good start and a tough no decision here. He goes seven innings, gives up just one run in the process. Drew Smith gives up a run and an inning before Adam Montavino is able to give you a scoreless setting. And for the Mets, they have been white out this year. They are 22-12, and 12, but certainly has been a case in which they've been slowing down a little bit more with the offense. Now four runs or fewer scored in five out of their last six games. So something that you do want to be monitoring and I believe seven out of their last nine games and for the Seattle Mariners offense has been very much going on them as they're a bunch that they have scored two runs or fewer in now five out of their last six games, but they were able to get this one to the window. The Astros were able to get theirs to the window as they take down the Washington Nationals by a count of 6 1. from Valdez, a very good start in this one, winds up giving up seven hits and seven and two thirds innings, but just one run, so bent but did not break. Ryan Presley, a scoreless inning, and Rafael Montero was able to give you an out of the bullpen and the tone was really set early. The Astros scored five out of their six runs in the first inning. Jose Altuve goes deep off of Josiah Gray. sixth home run of the season. Yoli Uriel in that first inning goes deep off of Gray. His first of the season. Then Gray would give one up in the third inning to Jordan Alvarez. His 11th of the season as for Josiah Gray to his credit. He still went six innings in this game despite that cataclysmically bad first but gave up six runs including three home runs. Victor Arano, Josh Rogers, Paulo Espino. They're all able to give you a scoreless inning after that before the Nationals. Not a lot doing on offense as this is a Houston Astros team. That, by the way, I believe that they now have the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. That is not something that you would expect to say. And hey, our DK Nation pick. It took a while, but it got there. We had the over of six and a half in Rays versus Blue Jays. And. Thanks to four total runs in the eighth inning, 5-2, to two, the Rays get the win. It's able to come home as Kevin Gosman probably just left in there a little bit too early as he wound up entering into the bottom of the eighth inning and he wound up entering into that inning with the game 2-2 two to two. and then from there, things wind up going a little bit awry. Four runs, three of which were earned, given up by him and then from there, Tim Meza winds up giving up a run in two-thirds of an inning before David Phelps was able to give you an out of the bullpen and for the Tampa Bay Rays, they were really able to get a nice start out of Drew Rasmussen, gives up one run. In five and a third innings, Brooks Raley does wind up giving you a bullpen appearance, gave up three hits, didn't get a single out, gave up a run, but the rest of the guys did their job as Matt Weisler, Andrew Kittredge, Jason Adam, all able to give you a the inning, and Ryan Thompson, able to give you an out of the bullpen as a race. They get this one done thanks to going five of nine with men in scoring position. Being able to get this one done, the Slam Diego Padres. They go on the road, they take down the Atlanta Braves by a count of 11-6. to six. You, Darvish, not necessarily a great start, giving up five runs over the course of five and two thirds innings, including a deep shot as. Going deep off of film, William Contreras, his fourth home run of the season, and then Dansby Swanson will go deep off of Robert Suarez, the third of the season for Suarez, winds giving up that home run in a third of an inning, but bullpen is able to settle down from there, as you do wind up having Taylor Rogers and Steven Wilson combined for two scoreless innings, and Luis Garcia is able to give you a scoreless inning as well, and for the Padres, pair of home runs of their own, awesome Kim winds up going deep off of Will Smith, fourth home run season, and Will Myers, who has really been struggling this year, first home run of the season off of Max Freed. Freed winds giving up four runs over the course of six innings, and then Will Smith. He gets chiggy with it. He gives up that home run. Three runs in total over the course of an inning. From there, Darren O'Day. He winds going an inning, giving up two runs. Spencer Strider. He winds going an inning, giving up two runs himself. As both of these teams go with Ben in scoring position and line of race. 4 of 8, 4 of 12 for the San Diego Padres. And the night winds up wrapping up with the Philadelphia Phillies having a bit of a situation on their hands against the L.A. Dodgers. As I right now record this podcast, it is nine to 9-9, nine and it looks like they are getting ready for extra innings, so I do not have a final as I wind up recording this podcast. But Walker Buehler at the last second end to start in place of Clayton Kershaw. He wound up looking like a guy that got the call very late, giving up five runs over the course of five innings, including a jack in this one to Mr. Kyle Schwarber's eighth home run season, and then Phil Bickford in the eighth inning would give one up to Bryce Harper. Harper is eighth home run season as Bickford gives up that run in an inning. To the credit of a lot of the bullpen pieces for the Dodgers, they were solid as Evan Phillips, Tommy gameley Craig Kimbrell, all I would give you a scoreless inning, but Alex Vizia, who entered into this game, I believe, having not given up a run all season. 3 earned runs without getting a single out and for the Philadelphia Phillies, James Norwood was able to combine with Brad and for 2 scoreless innings, Andrew Bellotti was able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, Nick Nelson 1 and 2 thirds innings before Churchich Familia ends up blowing a save. If you're taking a look at what we're all getting in Major League Baseball in general, we're starting to see the overs come in just a little bit more. It certainly has still been a little bit of an under year, but now 45 overs to 42 unders in the last 7 days, so A little bit over 50% there. And the underdogs, they're starting to bark as well. 41 and 54 over the last seven days. Favorites, they've actually been able to do just a shade bit better on the run line. I mentioned the fact that underdogs are 41 and 54. That makes favorites 54 and 41 straight up. And when it comes to the run line, they've been able to cover 38 of them. So 16 times over the last seven days, the favorite has won by approximately one run. And that certainly has been a little bit of a theme of this season. Because if you take a look at Major League Baseball for the entirety of the campaign, Home favorites are right now doing a solid job at 182 and 127. So winning 59% of the time at home, but among these 182 home favorites that have been able to win, they have been able to cover the run line just 125 times. So that means... 57 games involving a home favorite that wins has been by approximately one run. If you're looking at the entirety of the season, 246 unders, 208 overs. So under still so hitting right around 54.2 or so percent. That's what we wanted up seeing in major league baseball on Friday. And that's what we're seeing just league wide as well. So, We've got that all covered for you guys and a man that has us covered with what we're all seeing in baseball right now, along with some of the games for Saturday. That'd be Jill lot of FTM bets. We're going to be chatting with him next right here on the baseball betting show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast.
5: Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Or download the app today.
3: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
4: And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Beast Wobbiting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beats and Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests this man does absolutely terrific work over there at FTM Bets, as it is Joe Galant who is joining me. When it comes to the football season, he does a show called Touchdown Town, that's just where every Sunday or sometimes Thursdays, Mondays, what have you, during the NFL season, he takes a look at some underdogs that he thinks are going to be able to score touchdowns that week. He does a good job being able to take a look at that underdog market because now he's doing the show called Dog Day Afternoon a few times every week, whether it be the NBA, whether it be the MOB. He's just taking a look at some plus money bets that you're going to be able to cash on for that day. And to be able to follow Jill Gallant on Twitter, that is at G Dog 5000 and dog spelled D-A-W-G. And Jill, always great to have you aboard. Thank you.
6: Thank you, Greg. And it's always great to be back on the show. I feel like I like to come on at least once a month just to get a lay of the land again of baseball because I'm betting baseball. But at the same time, stuff changes so much month to month, especially with like the way the totals are adjusting and maybe the offense is starting to rebound. If you remember when I was on about a month ago, we were talking about how we were seeing like just record lows and totals and just low scoring all around. And now we're seeing a complete shift in this. It's just really interesting to watch how a baseball season unfolds.
4: Yeah, I'm right there with you. It certainly has been so fascinating to take a look at this entire season. and. I- we really haven't seen offenses pick up these typically first couple weeks of the year. I'm someone that I like to bet some unders because it's cold out there in the northeast part of the country, the Midwest, but now the temperatures out there in the Midwest, the northeast part of the country, they've gotten a little bit warmer. I noticed that just in a few states, we wound up seeing the temperatures actually be nearly as warm there as it is out here in lovely Las Vegas this week. And still, scoring remains down. And I think that once you wind up getting to a sample size where it's north of 30 games for a lot of these teams, not saying that during the summertime we're going to see a bunch of six ass and 7s, but I think that we can draw to the conclusion that it's just going to be a lower scoring year than normal, and we do need to shade our numbers down from what we typically have this time of year.
6: Absolutely. And I think what you're seeing, too, from books is initially they were kind of using more numbers from previous seasons and maybe getting a little bit burned on that initially or betters in general in turn also getting burned, thinking a lot more offense was coming. And now we've seen them kind of I don't want to say over adjust, but you are seeing a lot more you know, sevens, seven and a half totals. Uh, team totals are at a really bi- real big low. Uh, you know, you're seeing uh, first fives at three and a half sometimes, and it's not guys like Max Scherzer or Garrett Cole out there in- for those kinds of bets. So it's very interesting to watch it, but then you're seeing in some other places where maybe it's a little bit warmer, books are having to adjust a little bit more, and then of course you always have Coors Field, which doesn't matter what time of year it is, they're going to put the total at uh, double digits, it seems like, no matter what, unless you're having a, a visiting team like Walk of View or Clayton Kershaw pitching. But even in that circumstance, the Dodgers could put up 10 runs themselves. So uh, we're, we're going to have to adjust if you're betting totals regularly. And I think you're going to start to see a swing of it just as the weather gets warmer. And I think if you can try to get ahead of it, you could be able to beat the books before the numbers start to adjust more. But I think what may happen though, Greg, is that if we get closer to the end of June, early July, we might be seeing another swing of totals going a little too high. And maybe we have to readjust and start taking more unders, if you know what I'm saying.
4: Oh yeah, and right now, as things were approaching Friday, we were seeing about fifty four and a half percent of games wind up going under the total. So that's been very interesting to take a look at what we've gotten all season long as we've got Joe gallancho with me on the podcast does a great job over there at f t m bets and. Jill, I just noticed this entire weekend, it looks like we're going to get some really good pitching matchups. Maybe a little bit of an exception is Sunday, where you do wind up getting into more of the back half of these rotations. But with that said, taking a look at things, I think it is going to be very fascinating to see what we wind up getting from two of the teams that have won the better pitching rotations in baseball, the Milwaukee Brewers and the Miami Marlins, as We wound up seeing that Corbin Burns versus Pablo Lopez matchup on Friday have one of the lowest totals that we've really seen all year. And now we've got Eric Lauer and Trevor Rogers for Saturday. Right now, the Brewers find themselves right around a minus 135 to a minus 140-ish favorite. And I like the Brewers. I like Eric Lauer. I feel like he's getting a little bit overvalued here. I recognize a slow start for Trevor Rogers, but I could see a scenario in which... Both of these starters come out very strong against a Brewers offense. I think that their numbers are very much inflated because they played the Reds six times in like two weeks. So that winds up helping you out a little bit. And a Marlins offense that I'm still not necessarily sold on.
6: And it's good that you mentioned that because if you remember when we talked a month ago and we were just talking about how awesome the Brewers pitching staff was, but that their offense just seemed like it was capped on how high it could go. But then if you're just looking on the raw stats and just looking at you know runs per game or uh, total home runs. Milwaukee is right there in the top five and you're just like oh my god how did this happen and it's because you get to play a lot of bottom barrel teams like the Reds. Now, playing a team like the Marlins, again, I'm not going to say that they're as bad as the Reds, but let's not pretend like they're, you know, this toast of the uh, NL East of any kind. I'm, again, not really ready to say that, like, Trevor Rogers is a write-off, because when you look at a lot of his road starts, he's looked really good, but then at home, and, I mean, it's only a small sample size of two home starts this year, but 12 earned runs over (laughs) six innings pitched. They really left them out to dry there in a couple spots, but I think at the same time, from this value, I still do like the Brewers, even though I find it a little bit pricey at minus 140. I do like the fact that they're a road team, so I do think there is maybe a little bit more value in taking a minus one and a half bet maybe at plus 130 because you do get that last at bat.
4: I think that it is going to be interesting to take a look at the Miami Marlins moving forward as well because they're a team that coming into the season I thought that they did have a little bit of upside with their pitching and I mean jury's still out on their offense guys like a Garcia or Ace Hilaire they need to pick it up but I really have like what I've seen out of their pitching and if there is a team that's able to benefit from everything that we've had this season with the low scores in baseball it is a team like the Miami Marlins like the Arizona Diamondbacks who have Zach Allen going I take a look at these two teams and out of everything that's wound up happening this year, I feel like they're the two teams that have taken advantage of the most of it.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, too, with the Diamondbacks, you kind of looked at their team like coming into the season. I don't think anybody was getting ready to pronounce them as a team that could really contend. But the fact that they're two games above 500, I mean, I know it's only 30 games, but I would easily have tried to pick them as probably the worst team in the National League, even though Cincinnati was right there with them. So the fact that where they are, like, you know, they're kind of 500. They don't really have a huge run differential to They're not really that far back from a minus 13 standpoint. But again, when you're playing in those divisions where teams have already like plus 70, you know, in a run differential like the way the Dodgers are, your offense is going to be capped as a result. So I'm with you. The Diamondbacks and Marlins are kind of both in that, I don't want to call them baseball purgatory by any sense, but I don't really feel like they have enough talent to really overcome any type of standing within their own division. So, you know, they'll get some wins. They might finish with 79 to 85 wins this year, both of those teams, on but I think that's probably the ceiling at this point, especially with the divisions of how strong the NL East and the NL West are.
4: Yeah, I think it's going to be really intriguing to take a look at what they're able to do out there in the national league and a team that i know is very near and dear to you is the toronto blue jays and i think that's going to be interesting to see what we wind up getting out of them on saturdays we do have jill galant of ftm best enemy right here on the podcast because they're taking on the tampa bay race most books i am not seeing anything listed with regards to this game from a line perspective because they are unsure as to whether ryan Yarbrough is going to start or if there's going to be an opener from and Ryan Yarbrough legitimately does have a point point half lower on his ERA when an opener winds up going in front of him rather than him actually being the starter, so it's one of the few guys in which the whole opener thing that we've been seeing the last few years has actually worked out for, but the real intrigue here is Hyunjin Ryu, he's going to be making his first start since the middle of April, first two starts of the year just did not wind up looking good, and Let's call it what it is. He wound up having a little bit of a shaky 2021 season, and I really think that it's important for him to have a good start against the Tampa Bay Rays, even if it's not necessarily long since he hasn't pitched in a month and wind up doing a lot of rehab. Just him going out there firing like four or so solid innings I think would be huge for the Toronto Blue Jays moving forward because it's been a little bit up and down for them this season.
6: Yeah offensively they're the team that was kind of more leaning into the long ball this year and after the like closer to about the first month like at the end of April they were still in first uh, for total home runs in Major League Baseball. They have since fallen to fifth and while the Yankees have just clobbered them and have now taken like the best record in Major League Baseball they're right there at the top of the A.L. East. So the Yankees we kind of knew that they could do that but With the Jays, with the way that that lineup was built, you really thought that that offense would carry you. Now, for Ryu, you're right, dude. The first two starts did not look great. I was never a big Ryu fan. But I think as long as he was more of the second or third starter in that rotation, I was okay with that. I just didn't like having him as the quote-unquote ace. I will say, I'm not going to pretend like he couldn't go in and have a good outing at Tampa. Like, even last year, he only pitched twice in Tampa. But again, small sample size, 1.74 ERA, both times against Tampa. He he was abbreviated start in the Trop last year. I think he actually got hurt in that game, if I recall. But either way, the point is, is that he is capable of doing that. But the Trop, I feel like, is such a tricky stadium to bet on teams to go win because I feel like the stadium works against you. And what is one of those few places that it's like almost like a true home field advantage because of how, much of a dump that place is and I just think that banking on them to go win in Tampa with Ryu just isn't really a safe bet like I haven't seen like what the lines of the odds are I'm assuming with Ryu pitching and if they're going to be doing an opener or even with Ryan Yarbrough was pitching you're probably going to see the Jays as slight maybe minus 115 minus 120 favorites I don't really know if I would agree with that line or, and I probably would still feel a little hesitant on betting them even if they were at plus odds at like plus 110
4: or plus 115 to your point I saw one opener for the Toronto Blue Jays being at minus 110 with even money on the Tampa Bay Rays, so right in that neighborhood, pretty close to a pickham, but the Blue Jays being a very, very slight favorite, and I would agree with you there just because you don't know what to expect out of Ryu, and when it comes to Ryan Yarbrough, if he does wind up having an opener come in for him, he's actually been very solid as a little bit of a bulk guy throughout his career, so I think that that's going to be intriguing to take a look at, and what else I think is going to be very intriguing to look at is one of my favorite fades in all baseball is going to be going. That would be our good friend Dallas Keuchel of the <laughs> Chicago White Sox, who has been terrible this year. I mean, he somehow has a 2-3 and three record, but he sure as heck doesn't deserve it. 6.86 ERA. He has won 21 innings so far this season. And in those 21 innings, he's allowed 21 total runs. Now, a few of those have been under the runs because the White Sox are one of the worst fielding teams I've seen in a very long time. Right now, I'm seeing that about a plus-125 to a plus-130, and I know that you're a guy that likes underdogs. I want no part of this underdog.
6: No, (laughs) it's either dog or pass. (laughs) In my instance for that, Greg, so I'm with you right there where I would pass in that instance. Now, I will say, like, Montgomery hasn't been bad on the road, even in his few seasons with the Yankees. Like, last year, I don't want to say the bar is too low, but from a competency standpoint, like, he was right there, like, what the Yankees need. They just need a guy who's a bend-don't-break style of starting pitcher. Right now, the bullpen has just been amazing for the Yankees this season, so um, I think as long as he's in that bend-don't break scenario where he just doesn't give up a few long balls early to like a Jose Abreu or Luis Robert or something like that like I just that's really my biggest concern is if he was to get roughed up early I do think though that he can go through the rotation at least a couple of times and then that way once he goes through them twice then he could just say okay bullpen save me here Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton <laughs> just can clobber the ball all day on a guy like Dallas Keuchel who again I didn't think was really washed like this but it kind of shocks me with just you know I don't want to say a fall from grace but it definitely feels like Houston knew what they were kind of doing when they let him walk right so really since then he hasn't really regained his form you would think he'd be a lot better with that batting order behind him and maybe even playing at home but no I'm with you it's either the Yankees or pass I would probably again same thing with being a road team I would probably look at the Yankees minus one and a half and maybe an over if I'm feeling a little frisky but probably just the Yankees minus one and a half
4: yeah especially if you're getting an eight in this spot I would certainly be liking the over there we do have Joe galant of ftm bets with me on the podcast and jill just taking a look at the board for saturday is there a game or two that we haven't hit on that you're maybe taking a look at whether you just want to see a little bit more from a pitcher slash a team or a bet that you might be targeting that's a good question uh, to be honest
6: I kind of like the under ten and a half for the Royals and Rockies. Like, I know that that total, it can be easily surpassed just because with actually like Colorado's offense has actually been pretty good this year. And it's not like Hernandez's pitcher uh, for the Royals is really like, like a Cy Young material or anything. But at the same time, it's just such a big total and just where we are at in the time of the year and the season. I would feel a little more prone to wanting to take the under anytime I get a double-digit total, even as risky as it could be at Coors Field.
4: Yep, I don't blame you there. It certainly has been a case in which scoring just across the league is down in Colorado. They seem to have pitchers that always have a lower ERA at home than they do on the road, which typically you don't find when going to elevation, but that has been the case for them the last few years and what is always the case on this podcast is it is made better whenever you join it jill i know that you're doing a great job over there at ftm bets i know that you've got dog day afternoon going on a few times every single week touchdown town is going to be back before we know it and i know that you're getting set for the nfl season but in the meantime doing a great job taking a look at the nba playoffs taking a look at the mob card and so much more so let the good people know they're able to follow you on social media and everything that you've got going on in general. Yes.
6: Thank you very much, Greg. Yes. So you can find all of my work at ftmbets.com or the FTN Network YouTube channel. So as Greg said, I host two shows a week for Dog Day Afternoon on Wednesdays and Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern, where I basically share my best bets for that night, whether it be for NBA or Major League Baseball, or even sometimes an NHL playoff game, if I'm feeling into it. Um, and then, of course, as well, this fall coming up for the NFL, going to be doing Season 2 of Touchdown Town every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern, where we give out our best anytime touchdown bets at 1 p.m for the 1 p.m eastern and the 4 p.m eastern games i basically share like my five top bets i also have a rule where i don't really bet any touchdown score below plus 200 so we have a lot of fun with it we talk about the touchdown market it's a little bit of a niche thing but it's just growing in popularity year over year as the nfl continues to grow in popularity so you could find that at the ftn network youtube channel and then as well all of my writing, whether it be dog of the day or I'll be previewing stuff like Super Bowl odds or you know NBA Championship odds, all of that being written at ftmbets.com, and you can follow me on social media, on Twitter, at gdog 5000 G-D-A-W-G-5000.
4: Yep, and as we know, the player prop market, it is growing, and Jill does a great job with that, and really, a lot of the folks over there at FTMBets do an amazing job taking a look at all those player props, and Jill, every single time he joins this podcast, he always delivers. He's a man that knows a lot about so many different sports, so I guess you can call him a five-tool player if you want to use baseball <laughs> reference, because Jill... Does an amazing job there. Did it once again today. So, big thanks, him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now a part of the VC Family Podcast. And so coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Saturday as we touch them all.
5: Angie can even help with extremely specific projects just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you get started at Angie.com that's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today.
3: Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball this is the Baseball Betting Show here is your host Greg Peterson.
4: And we're back here, in Las Vegas, for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family podcast. Always great to get Joe Gallant on the podcast. He does terrific work over there at FTM Bets. He does a little bit of everything over there. As I mentioned, Dog Day Afternoon is what he's doing right now. Touchdown Town is what he's got going on when it comes to the NFL season. And trust me, NFL season, it is going to be back before we know it. We wound up having the schedule release a few days ago. So that is something that he always does a terrific job of. And something else he does a terrific job of, being able to lend great insights whenever he comes on this podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Saturday as we touch them all.
2: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total
4: on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at June at underscore 81. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation, or this is where we wind up going with the National League games first, then the American League games and any interleague games are going to be at the bottom. The lone exception is we do have a doubleheader when it comes to the Angels and the Oakland A's, so I'm just going to do both of those games all together, so that will Way, it'll just keep things a little bit more simplistic with that regard. But with that said, how about if we wind up getting into it here with 901, 902 on the bank board. The San Francisco Giants at the road face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Dakota Hudson is going to be going for the cards. And Jacob Junis is going to be on the bump for San Francisco Giants to find themselves anywhere between even money and minus 105. Meanwhile, with the Cardinals, it's anywhere between minus 107 and minus 115 with eight being your total. Over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus one. 15 and with the St. Louis Cardinals they've been one of the best home over teams at their friendly confines this season but I did wind up saying this total at a 7.8. I'm looking under you've got a giant team that they were the lone team in the big leagues last season that wound up having a bullpen ERA that was sub 3. Jacob McGee who has not been good for this team this season. He's currently out of the fold so I actually think that that's a little bit of an advantage. Charlin Garcia Camilo Duvall you're able to trust in these guys a little bit more. Jose Alvarez has been able to do a relatively solid job in and then you do take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. And you got to love what Nolan Arenado has been able to do. 316 batting average, 7 home runs thus far this season. But going into what we wound up having on Friday, it had been really a topsy-turvy Cardinals offense that had scored 3 runs or fewer in 4 of their last 6. Now, you did wind up seeing quite a few runs in the series that wound up being played between these two last week. But I do think that both teams are going to be able to hone in a little bit more. You've got an above average St. Louis Cardinals bullpen that has been able to hold it down with someone like a Genesis Cabrera doing a solid job. Giovanni Gallegos has been a little bit up and down along TJ McFarland, but I like what I've seen out of Nick Wittgren coming over from Cleveland. Andre Palanti has a sub 1-5 VRA as well, and then you take a look at some of the hitters for the Cardinals outside of Nolan Arenado, and you've certainly been able to have Tommy Edmund being a get on base. He and Paul Goldschmidt entering into Friday, hitting above a 284, and then it's been really interesting to take a look at Juan Yep because 30 at bats going into what we wanted getting on Friday. A pair of home runs hitting a 400. He's been great, but take a look at some of the guys at the bottom of the lineup. Someone like an Austin Kinsner, you're able to throw in there Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill. I think a 225 or less has been a little bit rough. And for the San Francisco Giants, now you've got a lot of your main guys back. They've been a little bit banged up, but Jock Peterson, Brandon Belt, along Thario Estrada, only between a 250 and a 257 entering into Friday. That has been solid. Peterson, since he went with a little bit of an injury, hasn't seen as much pop in the that, but now you've got Lamonte Wade back in fold as well. He was a big part of this team last season. Luis Gonzalez has been able to do a solid job, will be able to reach base, but I do think that both of these bullpens are going to be able to hold up. And you take a look at Dakota Hudson, someone that does wind up having a little bit of a walks issue—15 walks in 30 and a third innings. But I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job, of be able to hold it down. Typically, he is a little bit more of a ground ball pitcher, wound up missing darn near all of last season. So really, for a sample size, you have to go back to 2019, and in that season, he had a 2.75 home ERA, giving up 11 home runs in 98 and a third innings, and I mean walks were still high for him, but was able to do a good job of being able to control it. I like what I've seen out of Jacob Junis thus far this season. He's made two long relief appearances in five innings and then one start. He's given up just two runs in this time span over the course of 15 innings, 15 strikeouts to three walks. He was a little bit up and down with his time with the Royals, but I do think that he's going to come out, give a relatively solid start. But I do think that the Cardinals in the end just have a little bit more behind them, and I do have a little bit more faith in Dakota Hudson. Wanted making the Cardinals a minus one seventeen favorite. So look at the lay here made by total a seven point eight. So we're going to go against the trend of the St. Louis Cardinals, who have been one of the best over teams at home this far this season. Entering into Friday nine five and one to the over nine overs five unders and a push. So we're going to be taking a look at the under and looking at St. Louis nine zero three. To- 904 on the betting board. The Atlanta Braves are going to be playing us to the San Diego Padres. You've got Chamonix going to be going for the pods and Charlie Morton is going to be on the bump for the Braves. The Braves are finding themselves anywhere between minus 120 and minus 130 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Padres, it's anywhere between plus 105 and plus 112 with 8 being your total unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 105. And here's another team that's been very good to the over. 10 over, 6 unders, and 2 pushes at home for the Braves this season entering into Friday. But that said, it has been a little bit of an up and down season thus far for Charlie Morton. Was able to get back online the last start or two, but certainly was not the guy of old, and you take a look at Charlie Morton even last year, and last year he wound up having an ERA. That was a full half a point lower on the road rather than what it was at home. And you do take a look at Sean Manea, got off to a really good start in his Padres career, but last few have been rough for him. He's given up at least three runs in each out of his last three starts, but I do think that he's going to be able to rebound overall for the season. He's given up right around three walks per nine innings, four home runs in 36 innings, so approximately one home run per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine rate is north of nine, so has been able to do a nice job there. And take a look at him on the road. It's a small sample size of three starts, but a 229 Ohm ERA compared to a 551 Ohm ERA, which is a little bit strange. And then... For Morton, it's been the exact opposite. Last start against the Brewers winds up being able to deliver five scoreless innings after giving up three plus runs in each out of his previous four starts. And both of these teams do back up their starters with a relatively solid bullpen. Nobel Chrisman, if needed, is able to give you three plus innings out of the bullpen. You've really been able to have a solid go of it with Craig Stammen along with Taylor Rogers as well. Roberts Suarez starting to come along for the ride as well. And then for the Atlanta Braves, Tyler Magic along with AJ Minter have both been able to do a solid job. Kenley Jansen, he has been able to fire relatively relatively solidly this season. I do feel like sometimes in big spots, he doesn't come up big, but at the same time, aside from those massive spots, he actually does a very solid job. And then for the Atlanta Braves, it's been a little bit of a hot and cold offense. He's certainly been able to get some good power out of someone like in Ozzie Albies who wound up entering into Friday with six home runs, but with Albies, he's been hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 225. That is a little bit of an issue. Marcel Zuna, he's barely hitting above the Mendoza line of 200. Adam Duvall, he's not been able to get going, but you've seen Travis Demerit really Doing a good job hitting right around 270. Three home runs for him. Matt Olson, he's got a 375 on base. Awesome. Riley has been able to do a good job. Seven home runs entering into Friday as well for the San Diego Padres. One of the best one two punches in all baseball in their lineup. Eric Cosmer, Manny Machado both hitting above a 350 and with Machado entering into Friday. Seven home runs, 22 RBI. Now you need the rest of the guys to be able to pick it up. Will Myers, awesome Kim. You're able to throw in there Luke Voigt, Austin Supernola, Drixon Profar, and Jake Cronenworth all hitting at 215 or lower. So that is an issue. It's been a little bit out and cold, and I do think that with the Atlanta Braves, they're going to be able to get a little bit more out of Charlie Bourne in the spot. I do think that Shamanea is going to pick up where he wound up being at towards the beginning of the season where he was looking rock solid, so I do think that we're getting a little bit of a pitcher's rule. Semi-total at 7.7, so going against that overtrend in this one as well. I'm going to be taking a look at the under and with the Atlanta Braves. Made them a minus-123 favorite. Here at minus-120 to minus-122, pretty much he backs on lay, but we'll lay that with the Braves to go along this total under. 9-5, 9-6 on the bagging board. The Milwaukee Birds hit the red face off against the Miami Marlins. Trevor Rogers is going to be going for the Fish and Eric Lauer is going to be on the bump for Milwaukee. Milwaukee is anywhere between minus 131 and minus 140. Meanwhile, with the Fish, you're finding them any between plus 120 and plus 124 with 7 being your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110 with the Marlins. I set them as a plus 114, so anything north of a plus 115 was willing to take a shot here. I like Eric Lauer and he has been very good this season, a 182 ERA. 3-0 record, 42 strikeouts in 29 and 2 thirds innings. I think that this has went up a little bit too far, and for Trevor Rodgers, he had a couple really bad starts to begin the season, but has now given up one one or fewer in 3 out of his last 4 starts. They wind up having a little bit of a blow-up start at home against the Arizona Diamondbacks about 2 weeks ago. I think that that might have been part of that Madison-Bumgarner game, or might have been the day before, but certainly was a little bit of a strange circumstance there, but other than that start, he has been able to do a relatively solid job recently. Now walks are a little bit of an issue, giving up a A little bit over four walks per nine innings. And the strikeout numbers are down this year. 21 strikeouts in 27 innings prior to this year. He had a career strikeout per nine rate above a 10.5. But I do think that he's going to be able to hone in and he's going to be able to find it a little bit more. And then when it comes to Eric Lauer, home and road splits from last season were a little bit more in favor of the home numbers. But still, 327 road ERA was able to do a solid job giving up right around 17 walks and 52 innings. So not great, not terrible. Opponents hit a 218 off of him. I think that he's going to be able to come in and do a solid job. And I think that this is going to be a low-scoring series in general because the Milwaukee Burrs entered into the weekend in really the top five in almost every offensive category. But a lot of that is because they wound up having those six games against the Cincinnati Reds in which their offense was firing on all cylinders. Christian Yelich wound up hitting that cycle against the Reds a few days ago. He's got right around 350 on base, so he's been able to pick it up what I will say for the birds is that having back Luis Urias, who's got north of a 400 on base, that has been very good for them. Rowdy Tellez has been able to do a good job of being able to go deep. He and Hunter Renfro wound up entering into Friday with a combined 15 home runs, so that is certainly going to be able to help out the team. And then you do take a look at the Miami Marlins. i got a couple guys that are able to get on base for you as well. Garrett Cooper, Brett Anderson, along with Asus Aguiar, entered into Friday, owing in between a 265 to a 275 Aguiar. One of the best RBI guys in all of baseball last season. actually wound up going deep off of Corbin Burns yesterday as well. Jazz Chisholm he was able to do a solid job towards beginning part of the season. Hitting at 290, he's been able to do a nice job of being able to belt out some homers, but you need more out of guys like Jesus Sanchez, Avisio Garcia. You're able to throw in their Jacob Sellings, Miguel de Rojas. These guys hitting at 220 or lower need to clean it up a little bit. And for the Brewers, I do think that there's going to be some negative regression when it comes to this lineup. I do think that the Brewers should be a slight favorite in this spot, but I think that's gone a little bit too far. Trevor Rodgers has been able to pick it up in recent starts. Uh, I'm willing to take the plus 120 plus that I'm seeing here with the Miami Marlins as of right now, and set a very low total on this game? I think that both of these starters are going to be terrific. You've got a Brewers bullpen that's got Devin Williams and Josh Hader in there, and along with that, Brad Boxberger's been able to do a solid job. Brent Suter, a little bit of a rough start to the year for him, but I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. And then when it comes to the Marlins, you got the Anthony's and Anthony Bass and Anthony Bender. They're able to do a solid job for this team. On top of that, you pick up Cole Solzer from the Baltimore Orioles. Stephen Oakert has been able to do a solid job. So my total is 6.4. I'm looking on and I'm looking fish in this spot 907 908 on the bank board the Cincinnati Reds yes we are on the Cincinnati and they're onto the road facing off against the Pittsburgh Pirates Zach Thompson and it's going to be going for the Fuckos and Luis Castillo is going to be on the bump for the Reds. The Reds are finding themselves anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Meanwhile, with the Buckos, they walked up the plank to anywhere between even money and plus 109. 7.5 to 8 is your total. On the seven half. over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even to minus and 105. On the 8, under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105, and here's a rarity. I'm looking at the Cincinnati Reds here. Set them as a minus 121 favorite. You've got Luis Castillo now back in the fold. Got to figure that he's going to be a little bit more limited than normal with regards to his pitch count. First start of the season went up against the Milwaukee Brewers, went four and two-thirds innings in that start, did wind up allowing three runs, so nothing great, nothing terrible, but wound up having five strikeouts. I like the overall stuff that he wound up having in that start, and for Zach Thompson, after last year, he was actually very good with the Miami Marlins. While he was with the Marlins, wound up posting up 324 ERAs, a little bit of a hybrid starter-slash-reliever. This year, it has not been great. He's got a 708 ERA. He has not even been allowing overly too many deep balls. 4 home runs in 20 and a third innings, certainly not great. But more concerning to me is the 10 walks in 20 and a third innings. That it's not been necessarily too terrific for them, and even at home, still north of a 6 ERA. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, they've had all but two of their wins come out of the bullpen, but I mean, even with the bullpen being able to get all those wins, it's not like the ERA has been great. They've been in the bottom eight of the big leagues with that regard. Chris Ryan entered into Friday with a north of six ERA for this team. Wilkrow has been used in a little bit of long relief and hasn't been too bad in that long relief role. But with that said, Anthony Banda, still a little bit on cold. I do like what you are able to get out of David Bernard, but certainly the Pirates have some shakiness when it comes to bullpen. And no question, the Reds do as well. This is a Reds bullpen that is in the bottom three in the big leagues with regards to ERA. Hart Warren along with Under Strickland. Both of these guys have certainly not been able to have a nice season. Tony Santian has had his rough issues as well. But you do take a look at the Cincinnati Reds team. And for the Reds, the offense is really starting to click. Entering into Friday, they had seen 14 out of their last 16 games go over the throw. And it's not just because of the pitching being so bad. Mike Musakis is out back the fault. He's hitting above a 250. Love what I'm seeing out of Tyler Stevenson. He's hitting north of a 325. He has been able to do a nice job being able to put back to ball with nearly a 400. On base, Brandon Drury entered into Friday. Haven't been able to hit six home runs thus far this season. Taylor Naquin is starting to get on base along with Albert Armora Jr. So, seeing some signs of brightness there. And then for the Pittsburgh Pirates, got a pair of guys: Ben Gamble along with Brian A's at the top. They're hitting above a 300 for the team. Michael Chavis has been able to hit right around at 260 as well. Daniel Vogelback they've moved him out of the leadoff spot because, well, you don't want to have a big giant whale up there at the leadoff spot for obvious reasons. But he's been able to hit five home runs. He's hitting right around 250 so has been nice for the seam, the bottom of the Line up with the guys like a uh, Michael Perez and Jack Swazinski. Leaves a little bit of something to be desired though. And I do think that Luis Castillo is gonna be able to win in this starting pitching matchup. Both of these bullpen's they are a little bit rough, but I do think that Thompson is gonna look a little bit better in this start. That said, at seven half, I think we went down a little bit too low. I set my total at a seven point seven. I mean the reds have been very hot to the over. No reason to mess with Happy right now. I'm gonna be taking a look at this total over. And with the Reds, I'm willing to lay up to a minus one twenty one one with them. So looking reds and looking over 909-910 is going to be the DK Nation pick as you've got yourself the Chicago Cubs and they're going to be in the road. They're going to be facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Gallen is going to be going for the D-backs and Kyle Hendricks the professor is going to be on the bump for the Cubbies. The Cubs are finding themselves in between a plus 125 and a plus 130 underdog. Meanwhile if you're taking a look at Arizona you're going to be finding them in between minus 140 and minus 145 with anywhere between half and 8 being your total on the 7.5 The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the 8, the under is minus 120 and the over is even. And the DK Nation pick in this one is going to be on this total under. I wound up saying my total at a 7. Zach Gallen has been absolutely lights out for this Arizona Diamondbacks team all season long. And the professor Kyle Hendricks always does have a little bit more demonstrative home and road splits throughout his career. But you take a look at what the professor has been able to do this season and he has actually looked relatively solid on the road one of being able to get a little bit of a last-minute start in his last time out against the San Diego Padres and was terrific. Eight and two-thirds innings, scoreless back on Monday. So that is a very good sign for the team. And you take a look at Kyle Hendricks so far this season. I mean, I know that it's a relatively small sample size, but you take out that bad first start in his last two, he's won 15 and two-thirds innings and I believe given up one run. So that has been very solid for this Chicago Cubs team. And you do take a look at the Cubs and their offensive themselves. It's been thrown out of whack a little bit because they wound up having that just absolutely massive 21 run game that they wound up putting up against the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates a little bit earlier in the season, but you take a look at what they've been able to do on the road this season, and it's not necessarily terrific entering into Friday. This is a Chicago Cubs team that on the road, they were averaging right in the pocket of about 3.7-ish runs per game, and now you have to go up against a guy in Gallon who has a 0.95 ERA. He has not a lot of home run in 28 and a third innings. just four walks as well. So, the command has been there. The Arizona Diamondbacks do not necessarily back him up with the world's greatest bullpen, but you only need a select few guys because, I mean, we've noticed that Mark Blanson is 500 years old and he can't hold a save, but they're probably going to be utilizing Joe Manette-Tipley later on in games. He has a 0.77 ERA thus far this season. Ian Kennedy, it's right around a 3-2 ERA. He's not great, but he certainly has been far from terrible. Even Caleb Smith, in a little bit of a long relief role, has been solid. And this is an Arizona Diamondbacks team that, entering into Friday, you <laughs> Worst batting average in the league, getting a buck 99 as a collective, and as a matter of fact, you take a look at the starting lineup. You didn't have a single guy out there for Arizona on Friday, hitting above a 245. Now, Dalton Varsho, Christian Walker, both of these guys do have six home runs, so they've been able to hold down the fort with that regard, but certainly has been a little bit rough with that regard, and for the Chicago Cubs, you've had a few guys be able to get on base for you. Wilson Contreras is sitting at 300. He's got some power in the bat. You love him. Alfonso Rivas has been able to hit right around 290, so that has been solid in Ian App, nearly a 400 on base, but he expected a little bit more. out some of these guys, like a Patrick Wisdom, Jason Award, Rafael Ortega, all in between a 222 and a 235 with Wisdom. He's got five home runs, but I mean, his strikeouts per at bat rate since the beginning of last season is actually worse than that of Joey Gallows. He leads the league with that regard. And for the Chicago Cubs, I'm not going to go out here and say that this is a bullpen that is absolutely lights out and one that you can just completely hang your hat on, but someone like a Scott Efrost Frost has been halfway decent for this team. Michael Givens, I'm not going to say that he's giving you greatness, but at the same time, it's not terrible. This is a team that's right around 13th in the league with about a 3.46 ERA entering into what you wound up getting on Friday. So I do think that they're going to be able to hold down the 49 and I think that it's going to be an almighty struggle for both of these teams. The Diamondbacks entered into Friday with over 70% of their home games going under the total, and I think that that trend is going to be continuing. So DK Nation pick is going to be on the under in this spot. And when it comes to years in the Arizona Diamondbacks, I did wind up saying them as a minus 143 favorite. It's a little bit close as a money line and run line Line. Right now, you're finding that run line of the Arizona Diamondbacks right around a plus 140 that's in the neighborhood that I set my number at. So, I'd rather take the money line, be safe here. So, I'm taking the Diamondbacks there and with the DK Nation pick, the under. 9 912 on the betting board. You've got the Philadelphia Phillies and they're going to be in the road. They're going to be facing off against the LA Dodgers. One Julio Arias is going to be going for the Dodgers and you've got Rangers Juarez who is going to be going for the Philadelphia Phillies. Right now, the only line that I'm seeing is up at DraftKings and they wound up setting this one. I'm pretty sure that this is before we wound up getting the switcheroonie at minus 180 for the Dodgers and plus 155 for the Philadelphia Phillies. Like I said, this is probably when they were expecting Walker Bueller to get the start and a 8 total with the 8 under is minus 115 and the over is minus 105. Assuming that we wind up getting something similar here because I do think that there's going to be a little bit of change with this one. I did wind up setting the Philadelphia Phillies at a plus 142, which means the Dodgers are minus minus. 142. So anything of a plus 142 or greater, I'm going to be willing to take a shot here on Philadelphia because you do take a look at what you're going to be able to get on this team. And I think that they're going to be able to do a halfway decent job of being able to get to Mr. Ulio That You take a look at him ever since the end of last season and he wound up having most of his wins on the road. Arias last season was the only 20 game winner out there in the big leagues and 13 of those wins were wound up coming on the road now. This year at home he's been terrific as he had to allow an earned run but I mean, with that said it is also two stars into the season so I do think that that's a relatively small sample size. I like Arias and what he's able to give you in general because across the six starts he's given up seven earned runs, three home runs so he's been able to do a solid job just being able to hold down the fort in general. i taken a pair of losses but I mean in both of those losses the team only wound up supplying one run of support for him so that's a little bit of an issue of itself and if he can't necessarily wind up going a whole heck of a lot of length because it is a little bit of a last second start for him. He's got some very good bullpen pieces to be able to help out. Craig Kimbrell, Tommy Canley, and then Alex Vecilla He had to give up an earn run this season. So, he's been rock solid for the Philadelphia Phillies well. It certainly is a bullpen that has not been rock solid for this team. They pick up Brad Andrewsic, Familia, and Corey Knebel in the offseason, yet they're still sitting here with a bottom seven bullpen in terms of ERA. But you take a look at Rangers Suarez, and I feel like he's been the victim of bad luck this season. He was the starter when Alex Bohm wound up having that three-error game, and you take a look at his last start against the Seattle Mariners on the road. Six scoreless innings. It was his best start of the season. Walks have been a little bit of an issue for him. He's given up right around 3.7-ish walks per nine innings. Swing and miss stuff is down a little bit, but feels like he's starting to hone in a little bit more. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is a lineup that is able to get very active, and they're able to do a good job of being able to put back to ball Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber entering into Friday. Both had seven home runs apiece with Harper being able to hit a 275. shoreber needs to pick it up with the batting average, but JT Riomuto is hitting at 265. You've been able to have Nick Cassianos hit right around a 285. Alec Boehm making errors out there on the field, but he's hitting a 300 and for the Dodgers, you know that this is a lineup that's going to be able to pick it up eventually, but the question is when? Cody Bellinger having another rough year. He's hitting a 205. I think that is what it is at this point with him. Will Smith has not been out there very often for the team. Justin Turner down for what? He's hitting a 200. Max Muncy hitting a buck 45 with three home runs and 90 at bats this season. Mookie Betts has been picking it up. Freddie Freeman is sitting above a 300 and then you've got Trey Turner down for what? Who's hitting right around 275, but I do take a look at this spot and I do think that Rangers for us starting to find the form that he wound up having a season go, and for Mr. Julio Rios, I think that he's going to be able to deliver a solid start, but this is a spot in which, if I'm getting pretty much a plus 142 or greater with the Philadelphia Phillies, I'd be willing to take that plus price, I wound up setting my total at a 7.9, so at a 7.5 or less, I'm going to be taking a look at an over, and an 8 or higher, taking a look at the under, and now we wind up going to that doubleheader, but we're going to be starting with 913, 914 with Angels on the road against the Oakland A's. In this game, it's going to be Jonathan Diaz is going to be going for the Angels, and then Bob Blackburn is going to be going for the A's, and then after this one, we're going to go 925, 926, which is a game that is currently off the board. But with that said, I did wind up making the Oakland A's in this spot because right now you've got numbers up on this game. You don't have numbers up on Game Two. I want to making the Oakland A's a plus 122 underdog, and with the Angels. You're finding them in the neighborhood of about a minus 115 to a minus 117. And then if you're looking at the A's, you're going to be finding them right around a plus 105 to a plus 107 with seven half to 8 being your total. On the 7.5, over is minus 120, the under is even. On the 8, the under is minus 120, and the over is even. And in this spot, I'm willing to lay up to a minus 122 with the Angels. So I'm going to be looking to back them. With Paul Blackburn, he's actually looked significantly better this year than he has a season ago. So that is something that the... A's are able to feel relatively solid about Buck 74 ERA, 26 strikeouts and 31 innings you gotta feel like there might be a little bit of regression because he is giving up seven half hits per 9 innings. You take a look at what wound up happening with him a season ago. He wound up posting up a 5.87 ERA. Now he was much better at home than he was on the road. 8.44 road ERA, 4.03 home ERA, but it became a situation in which his first like 3-4 starts wound up going solidly and then in the month of September he wound up posting up a 6.20 ERA and then had a cataclysmically bad start in the one that he wound up having in October as well. So as there wound up being more and more tape on him. His play wound up dropping off the table more and more, and then you take a look at Mr. Diaz. He has made just one start this season, and has been a guy that, for the most part, has been at the minor league level. But in his one start, the team was able to get the job done. He wound up being able to go in that start five innings, and I don't believe that he wound up giving up a single earned run. So was able to look solid there. Wound up getting a couple starts last season at the big league level as well, and I mean he hasn't looked bad when he's been experimented with at the big league level. At the minor league level, this is someone that is able to do a solid job of be able to get some swings and misses. Walks have always been a little bit of an issue with him, and we've seen it throughout his MLB career. It's a very brief MLB career, but 18 innings has given up 11 walks, so that is something that he's going to need to hone in on a little bit and for the Angels. They do have a couple trustworthy bullpen pieces, and then after that there's a big drop-off, as Ryan Tepera, Aaron Loop, along with Rossio Iglesias are terrific, but then Jimmy Hargett along with someone like Mike Myers. These are guys that have been relatively brutal for the team, but you also take a look at the Oakland A's and what's really brutal is the way that this team has been hitting this season going into Friday. I mean, with the starting lineup that you wanted trotting out there, they had one guy in there that was hitting above a 253, and two guys are hitting above a 226. That is not necessarily too terrific. The Oakland A's as a collective, entered Friday hitting a 203 with 21 home runs over the course of 33 games. So that's not necessarily too terrific for the LA Angels. They've been dealing with a couple of injuries, as they've been dealing with Matt Duffy being out. Max Sassy has been dealing with a little bit of an injury, but the guys on named Trout and Otani have still been able to pick it up. Taylor Ward entered into Friday with seven home runs, hitting a 367. Mike Trout, nine bombs, 337 batting average after a little bit of a slow start to the season, Joey Otani starting to pick it up. Brandon Marsh, Jared Walsh are both hitting at 265. Tyler Wade has been able to get on base as well. And for the Oakland A's, the best attribute for this team has been the bullpen. And considering what they're going to be getting in game two, as Adam Aller is going to be going, and we're going to get into that in a minute, they're going to need the bullpen to not get overly taxed. Any Jimenez has been solid for this team. I've also liked what I've seen out of Sam Mall as well. as He had to give up an earned run this season. AJ Puck has become a multi-enning utility guy for this team, giving up just one run 15 plus innings, so these guys have been able to do a rock solid job, but I do think that Diaz is going to be able to give a little bit of a better start here than Blackburn. Blackburn a little bit more of a fly ball pitcher, and when you wind up starting in Oakland in the daytime versus the nighttime, it is like night and day, so I am willing to lay up to a minus 122 with the Angels in this spot and I'm going to be taking a look at that 7.5 over, as I said I told it at 8.2, and then in 925, 926, you've got Michael Lorenzen, who's going to be going for the Angels at Adam Aller, who's going to be on the bump for the Oakland A's. We currently have no numbers up on this game, but with regards to this one, I did wind up setting the Oakland A's as a plus 151 underdog. Adam Aller has been absolutely terrible this year, and I recognize that Michael Lorenz in his last start, four and two-thirds innings against the Washington Nationals, gave up a pair of homers, and you figure that regression was going to come in after his good start to the season. That certainly wound up happening, but I mean, there's just no taking Adam Aller here, in my opinion, unless if he wind up getting a big plus price, because I do think that that Oakland A's bullpen is going to need to be on full display, and to the credit of the Oakland A's, they're in the top 10, with regards to bullpen ERA, the LA Angels, they've been pretty much league average with regards to bullpen ERA, right around 15, 16, so nothing great, nothing terrible, but Aller has wound up making three starts this season, 27-year-old Young gun who's went nine and two-thirds innings, and he has given up 13 runs, 12 of which were earned, including four home runs and eight walks. Now, the one thing I will say is that two of these starts wound up being tough ones, on the road against the Blue Jays, on the road against the Rays, but boy, oh boy, it has been absolutely brutal for this Oakland A's team, and I will say one thing about it. The two out of the three losses that the Oakland A's wound up taking in all our starts were by one run. So maybe if you wind up getting like a minus 130, a minus 135 money line... With the Angels, that's a little bit more takeable. and I went through the offense, what the Angels are able to provide, and even some of their ancillary guys are able to step up and able to do a solid job. And for the Oakland A's, I mean, just imagine having more of your backups, because sometimes you wind up seeing that happen from Game 1 to Game 2, winding up taking the center stage. So, in Lorenzen versus Aller, currently have no numbers for this game, and wound i up setting it pretty much the same as Game 1, even though the nighttime, you're going to have the Marine layer on this one, semi-total at an 8.3, so an 8 or less. Going to be taking a look at an over 8.5 or higher. Going to be taking a look at the with the Angels, set them as a minus 151 on a money line, laying a run a half with the Angels, plus 112. As we get back into rotation order, as we go 9:15, 9:16 9-16 on the banking board, the Baltimore Orioles are going to be in the road to face off against the Detroit Tigers. Michael Pineda, hopes to not be Michael Pineda for the Tigers, and you've got Baruch Zimmerman with two ends on the back half of Zimmerman going for the Orioles. The Orioles are finding themselves and between even money and plus 107. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Detroit, you're going to be finding them in between minus 115 and minus 127. Half is your total over is minus 115. And the under is minus 105. Want to make a Pineda and company a minus 133 favorite with Michael Pineda. He's been a little bit up and down in recent years, but has always been able to do a solid job with regards to the walks, giving up right around 2.3, 2.4 walks per nine innings ever since he wound up getting to Minnesota after things were a little bit nightmarish while he was in New York. And then you do take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get the Baltimore Orioles, and to the credit of them, the offense has been able to pick it up a little bit more. You've been able to have couple guys like a Trey Boom Boom Mancini be able to get on base for you. He's right now hitting for the team right around at 280. Anthony Santander sitting right around 240. A little bit of pop in the back. Even Orde Mateo sitting at 250. And I really like what you're able to get out of Cedric Mullins. Really rough start to the season now hitting at 270. Ryan Moncastle has been out of the fold the last few days. But you take a look at the bottom of the line of Curse Owings, Calvin Gutierrez, along with Robin Sertrinos, Anthony Ben Boom, Rune Ador, all these guys hitting at 200 or worse. That is an issue. And then you take a look at the Detroit Tigers entering into their game on. Friday. This is a team that as a collective, 12 home runs, just absolutely embarrassing, and it's not like they're doing a great job of being able to get on base. Jonathan Scope and Spencer Torkelson are both hitting below 8 buck 65 right now. You do have a couple guys, Miguel Cabrera, Derek Hill, Tucker Barnard hitting at least a two-sixty for this team, but Jameer Candelario, Javi Baez, Robbie Grossman, they're hitting between about a two-ten to a two-twenty-five. That's a little bit of an issue for this team. Now, the saving grace for the Detroit Tigers, the fact that they've got a top-four bullpen in terms of ERA. Andrew Chafin is back off the injured list. Alex Lang is able to do a nice job for this team. Joey Menace has been a little bit up and down through his career, but he's been able to do a solid job both as Gregory Soto. I do like what you're able to get out of these guys. And then you do take a look at Bruce Zimmerman and he's been pretty solid thus far this season. A 260 70 given giving up just one home run over the course of 30 and the third innings, just eight walks in that time span as well. Certainly someone that wound up pitching a little bit inconsistently on the road last season. We've seen that this year. Buck 80 home year, eight. 535 road ERA last season on the road to wind up having a 637 ERA so that is something that needs to be taken into account and I do think that both of these offenses are going to be able to struggle. The Orioles have had a little bit of a tough time being able to get overs. As a matter of fact, I believe that each other first 12 games either were a push on the total or an under And I do wind up saying my total at a 7.2. I do think that Pineda is going to be able to do a good job of be able to hold down the fort for the Detroit Tigers. I do think that the change of scenery is going to do him some good. I giving up for home Runs to 21 innings but he is out in a little little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark. A lot of those wanted coming out on the road, so I'm looking at an under in this spot on the 7.5, and, and I'm going to lay up to a minus 133 with the Tigers, so taking a look at them. 917, 918 on the banging board. you got the Tampa Bay Rays, and they're going to be playing us to the Toronto Blue Jays. Hunjin Ryu is going to be going for the Jays, and for the Tampa Bay Rays, it is right now a little bit to be determined as to whether or not Ryan Yarbrough is going to be a bulk guy or a starter, but with that said, we were talking about this game with Jill a little bit earlier, and I wanted setting the Rays as a minus 129 favorite. I would like to see the Rays utilize an opener for Ryan Yarbrough because coming out of the bullpen in a bulk role, Ryan Yarbrough for his career has an ERA that's a full point a half lower than when he actually starts in. I mean, you take a look at what they've done this season, the Tampa Bay Rays, they've had him start twice, and it's given up five runs over the course of seven and a third innings with four walks, so as doesn't necessarily look too tremendous with that regard. You take a look at what he was able to do in the 2021 season, a 5-11 ERA, so I was honestly too terrific, but once again, when he was coming in as a reliever, he was able to do such a better job than when he was coming in as a starter three home runs, give it up, in 142 at-bats coming out of the bullpen, 22 bombs and 470 at-bats coming in as a starter, so very stark difference there, and you did take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays team, man. Bullpen has been a little bit below average this season, coming into what we wound up getting on Friday. They were 17th in the league with regards to bullpen ERA, but you still have some reliable guys out there. JP Fire has entered into Friday, having not given up a run all season long. Jason Adam has a sub-2 ERA. Jalen Beeks in a little bit with bulk row, and we could wind up seeing quite a bit of him. He's got red right around 215 ERA, even though for the Toronto Blue Jays, Jordan Romano has actually been one of the better shutdown closers out there in the big leagues. They wind up blowing a save, I believe, against the Yankees, but by and large has been reliable. But guys like Trent Thornton, Trevor Richards that you rely upon for a little bit of length, they have not necessarily been there. And for Hunjin Ryu, yeah, in two starts this season, a 13.50 ERA didn't wind up doing a whole heck of a lot of rehab his last start wanted coming out the 16th of April so it's been a situation in which and Ryu, even if you wind up going back to last season didn't necessarily look so great so a little bit of a jury's out situation there and when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays it's been shocking to see the offense not putting up as many runs as they have been able to because they've got the worst batting average with men in scoring position in all the big leagues I mean, it's a team that's able to get on base George Springer sitting about at 280 for this team going into Friday 7 home runs he We've got Flagaro Jr. going into Friday, seven home runs, sitting about at 285. He's been able to do a solid job. Alejandro Kirk is sitting at 270. Santiago Spenlow at 265. But when guys wind up getting on, they have not been able to deliver. And then you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, it got a lot of guys that have been able to do a solid job of being a reach base. Harold Ramirez, Wander Franco, along with Manuel Margot, have all been able to hit at least a 295 for this team. G Man Choi is relatively close with that regard as well. But Brandon Lau, he has been able to give the team power with five home runs, but he's only hitting right around 205. Five for the team. Kevin Kiermeyer, Mike Zanino, Tyler Walls are all in below the Mendoza line. Of a 200 as well, so certainly a little bit of an interesting circumstance. But I do think that the Rays are going to utilize a little bit of an opener for Ian Yarbrough, willing to make the Rays a minus 129 favorite in this spot. And semi by total at an 8.3, so an eight or less looking over in a or higher going to be taking a look at an under as we move to 9.19, 9.20 on the banging board. The Boston Red Sox hit the road face off against the Texas Rangers. Glenn Otto is going to be going for the Rangers, and Rich Hill is going to be on the bump for Boston. Currently, there are no numbers up on this game, but. You know what? I've got a handicap for this game, and I wanna making the Boston Red Sox a minus one oh four favorite, and I made this total a nine point one, so a nine or less looking over nine and a half or I are gonna be taking a look at an under and the reason why I do like the Boston Red Sox in this spot is because Rich Hill has actually been able to give you a couple halfway decent starts. Now, this is assuming that it is actually going to be Rich Hill because I know that he's been going through a couple concerns as well. If it winds up being a bullpen game for the Red Sox, I wouldn't be downgrading them too much. It would be a case in which I would probably be taking a look at the Red Sox as maybe a very slight underdog because there are rumors of giving a little bit of a younger guy a start in this spot, but we are assuming that it is going to be Rich Hill here. And with Hill, I mean, you take a look at it, a 2.86 ERA. Has given up two home runs of 22 innings. It certainly has been far from terrible for him. Last start wound up being on the 5th of April, so he does need to be a little bit more clear to be able to come back in this game. I believe that he was on the COVID injured list, but last three goes of it for Rich Hill. Four to five innings and in every one of them. Has not given up a single run, so he has looked very solid there. And then you take a look at Glenn Otto. Wound up last year having a north of nine ERA. It was really, really bad, but let's for the season. He's been able to hold down the fort. Two Runs are fewer, given up, and each out of his three starts has been given out a couple too many free passes, six walks, and 14 in the third innings. But certainly has been able to do a good job, will be able to get some swings and misses. Well, my punch-outs in that time span. Really do like his stuff. And then for the Boston Red Sox, been a little bit surprising to take a look at the offense because you got a couple guys that are really firing out cylinders. Rafael Devers, who had 38 home runs last season. He's hitting above a 300 Xander Borgards hitting above a 335. J.D. Martinez is sitting right around 300. But then Alex Verdugo, Trevor Story, Franchi Cordero, Jackie Bradley Jr., Kike Hernandez, only at 220 or lower, that's an issue. I mean, you expected it out of Jackie Bradley Jr., but the other guys, not so much. And then you take a look at the Texas Rangers. Marcus Simeon has been about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop. Going into Friday, hitting a buck sixty-five with no home runs. I mean, that is not living up to that contract right there. Ada Garcia, Sia Cole Calhoun, Willie Calhoun, Andy Ibanez, only at 220 or lower, that's not helping out the team. And for the Texas Rangers, entering into what you wanted getting on Friday, you wound up having one guy with a batting average above a 243, and that's Jonah Heim. So that has been an issue now, Corey Seager has been able to do a nice job being able to put back to ball seven home runs as far this season. And for the Rangers, they probably have the Red Sox a little bit outgunned with regards to their bullpen. Joe Barlow, a sub two ERA this season. You've been able to have John King come in and give you some good innings. Matt Moore is starting to see a little bit of regression, sub three ERA for him. I think that that's going to rise to Garrett Richards. He just does not belong in a big league roster at this point. But Dennis Santana has been able to do a nice job. And then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. Cutter Crawford is someone that is highly unreliable when it comes to being able to give this team a little bit of length. But with that said, You certainly have been able to get a little bit out of Enakazu Sadamona, but Austin Davis has been a little bit unreliable. Garrett Woodlock is someone that when it comes to him now being a starter, that takes away from the bullpen as well. So they have to mix a match with that regard as well. So that's why a nine or less, I'm going to be taking a look at an over nine and a half or higher to the under and made the Red Sox a minus 104 favorite. 921, 922 on the bang board. You've got the New York Yankees and they are going to be facing off with the Chicago White Sox. As Dallas Keuchel is going to be going for the White Sox and one Jordan Montgomery is going to be going for the Yankees. Yankees are finding themselves as a favorite anywhere between minus 140 and minus 145. Meanwhile, you've got a plus 125 to a plus 130 on the Chicago White Sox. 8 to 8.5 is your total. On the 8.5, under is minus 120, and the over is even. On the 8, over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And I mentioned it with our good buddy Joe Galant. One of my favorite fades right now is that of Dallas Keiko because he has been absolutely terrible. He's got as many runs allowed as innings pitched thus far this season so that is something that has been very much an issue for him and you just take a look at this White Sox team and the bullpen hasn't necessarily been so great. They wound up blowing that 6-run lead against the Cleveland Guardians a few days ago. Liam Hendricks has not been as locked down as he was with the Oakland A's. Kendall Craven has been rock solid and knows Ruiz. I give him a a little bit of credit, but missing Garrett Crochet has certainly taken a little bit out of this team. And you take a look at the Chicago White Sox, the offense was able to get going in that game on Thursday, but unfortunately the bullpen and the starting pitching allowed fifteen runs to the New York Yankees. And you look at this Yankees team, and got a pair of guys with the double digit bond of home runs right now. And John Carlos Sand along with Aaron Judge. They have been absolutely tremendous for this team. Sans hitting right around at two eighty. Judge just below a three hundred DJ turned it up LeMayu. Ian Isaiah Kenner Falefa have been able to get on base with Lemayu hitting right around two ninety. Joey Gap. He has not necessarily been able to come to the forefront this year, but even Aaron X sitting right around 215. It's on base percentage is north of a 350, and then you take a look at these socks, and Tim Anderson is hitting at 333. That's terrific, but guys not named Tim Anderson in the lineup, you had one other player hitting above a 231. That would be Luis Robert. He's been able to do a solid job, but Jose Abreu along Gavin Sheets, AJ Pollock, Laurie Garcia, Josh Harrison, Reese McGuire, all these guys entering into Friday hitting at 215 or lower. That's just unacceptable. They do have Johan Moncada back in the fold, but Eloy Jimenez being out there, that's an issue and for the Yankees. This is a top 5 bullpen in terms of ERA. Jonathan Belize has been a little bit shaky this year, but the oldest Chapman ever since he won giving up a few walks to the Blue Jays a few weeks ago, he has been nails. Chad Green has been terrific. Michael King is able to give you multiple innings, Sub 2 ERA. Juani e. Peralta has been amazing out of the bullpen. Clay Holmes has really been able to do a solid job as well. And then you take a look at Jordan Montgomery. Home and road splits last season on the road, he had pretty much the same ERA that he wound up having at home, so he's a guy that's able to hold down the four-two-nine. The ERA thus far this season. Two home runs, five locks allowed in 31 innings. So he's been rock solid. Meanwhile, Dallas Keuchel, 686 ERA. So not a lot of faith there. I think that this is a game that's going to be going over because the Yankees are going to be doing a lot of the offensive firepower all by themselves. And when it comes to the Yankees, we want to lay up to a minus 147 with regards to the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line right now, anywhere between plus 110 to a plus 115, I would like a little bit more of a plus price here. I set it at a plus 120 that I would need to be able to take it. So I'm just going to ride with the money line of the Yankees and go with this total over as well. As so we wind up going, nine twenty three nine twenty four on the bang board. This is a game that's currently off the board between the Cleveland Guardians and the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins currently have a to-be-determined starter. Right now, it's looking like they're calling someone up from the minor leagues, and we have projected Roni Enriquez being able to go for the Twins, and Shane Bieber fever is going to be going for the Guardians. If we got Enriquez versus Bieber, we wind up setting the Guardians as a minus 141 favorite, and maybe a total an 8.4, so 8.5 or higher going to be taking a look at an under and eight or lower going to be taking a look at an over. When it comes to Shane Bieber, he's lost a little bit this season, not going to lie. I know that my good friend Adam Burke over at VEASAN wanted to illustrate the fact that Shane Bieber has lost a couple miles per hour on his fastball. That is a little bit of an issue. thus far as the season for the Biebs, he is giving up nine walks in 32 and two-thirds innings. Strikeouts per nine rate right around an eight and a half. And if you do wind up having Enriquez that winds up going out there, he had a losing record with right around a five-ish ERA at the double w- double A and triple A level last season is not necessarily a redeeming quality that you want with regards to a guy that is supposed to be a starting pitcher. Now he's able to get swings and misses, but at the same time, he's a little bit of a Rick the wild thing Vaughn sort of candidate as he's got four and a half walks per nine innings. This season at Triple A St. Paul. So it's not necessarily too terrific. He did a better job of be able to control the walks last season. But even last season, while he was over there in Texas for the Frisco team, and he was also at High A Baseball as well 1.6 home runs per nine innings between High A and Double A. So this is a guy that he gives up rockets. And for the Cleveland Guardians, this is a team that they do a good job of being able to get on base. Now, obviously, they're dealing with those COVID 19 issues, but that's mostly for the coaching staff. A lot of the guys that you know and love for the Cleveland Guardians, they're going to be out there and they're going to be in the fold, like Steven Kwan, along with Jose Ramirez. Both of these guys are hitting right around a 290 to a 300, and Ramirez, he's towards the top of the league with regards to RBI Owen Miller, hitting above a 300 for the team, Amidu Rosario sitting at 240, Frame Reyes, after he had an almighty funk, he's starting to bust out of it. And then for the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that's there dealing with a couple of injuries, as Alex Kurloff has been dealing with a couple of ailments, along with Trevor Larnish. Carlos Correa has been out of the fold as well, so answer them now. They do have Byron Buxton out there, and I think that he's one of the most crucial players to his team in all of baseball. Nine home runs entering into Friday and right around like 21, 22 games. He has been absolutely amazing with that regard. And Luis Arias, I don't understand why he's not playing every single day. He's got a little bit of righty lefty splits, but sitting above a 300, he's been rock solid for the team. Ore Palanco sitting at 250 along Thick Gordon. But you do take a look at this Minnesota Twins team, and they're probably going to have to go to the bullpen heavily. Wouldn't be surprised if we wind up seeing a lot of Griffin Jacks. He wound up pitching last on the 7th of May. And this is a guy that, in long relief, has won 13 and 3rd innings, given up two runs. They experimented with him as a starter last season so he can provide a little bit of something. Joe Smith as he yet to allow a run out of the bullpen. Cody Sasha, Caleb Theobar. These guys have been a hot mess and then for the Cleveland Guardians, I do like what you're able to get out of Emmanuel Classe has been one of the most just filthy relievers in all of baseball. Trevor Steven, Brian Shaw. These guys have been solid. Nick Sandlin has been a little bit up and down but that said, if you do wind up getting what I think we are going to with the Minnesota Twins, either Enriquez or another guy that's getting called up for the minor leagues, do wind up making the Minnesota Twins plus 141 as and underdogs are willing to lay up them minus 141 with the Cleveland Guardians and with regards to the total, I made it so that a 8 or less looking at an over 8.5 or higher to the under as we move to 927, 928 on the banking board. The Houston Astros, they're going to be in the road of facing off against the Washington Nationals. Eric Fetty Wap is going to be going for the Nationals and Christian Avier is going to be going for the Astros. Astros are finding themselves anywhere between minus 156 and minus 165 favorites. Meanwhile, with the Nets, going to be them anywhere between plus 145 and plus 148 with 8.5 to 9 being your total on the 8.5 over between minus 120, minus 125. The under is anywhere between even and 105 on the 9. Under is anywhere between minus 115, minus 120. Overs is anywhere between even and 105. And when it comes to Washington Nationals, set them at a plus 158. I'm willing to lay up to a minus 158 on the money line of the Astros. If you're looking at their run line, finding it right around even money. And I'd be willing to take the Astros as long as we wind up keeping this even money price. I'm willing to lay up to a minus 102 with them. So I pretty much got this even Stevens in this instance. And I do take a look at this. Ezra's team and I do think that they're going to be able to get to Mr. Eric fettiwap You take a look at him over the last two seasons and this has been someone that has been relatively tattooed giving up over a home run and a half per nine innings north of a five ERA ever since the beginning of that 2021 season and for Christian Avier, I just don't understand why this guy wasn't starting to begin with he has been absolutely filthy coming out of the bullpen, a guy with a career right around 11 half strikeouts per nine innings. You take a look at what he's been able to do this season and he has been nails in every sort of instance that he's been in because he's given you a start or two he's been able to give you a little bit of long relief. Two starts, six total appearances, 21 and two-thirds innings, 0.83 ERA. He's got a strikeouts per nine rate that is right around at 10.5 this season, which is actually a little bit down for him, but just six walks in, 21 and two-thirds innings. And it's backed up by a bullpen that you got to figure that Jake Odorizzi, because he was originally starting and then Christian Javier was piggybacking off of him, might be a candidate to wind up doing that. I'm not necessarily going to rely upon that because you've got Rafael Montero, who's got a sub-1 ERA for the Sassar team. Brian Abreu has been a little bit up and down in the bullpen, but I do like what I've also been able to see out of Ryan Stanick and Blake Taylor, a pair of guys with a sub-2 ERA, and then when it comes to Washington Nationals, Kyle Finnegan north of four ERA, you've been dealing with an injury to Sean Doolittle, so he's doing very little for you, and it's a Washington Nationals team that they had to dip into their bullpen yesterday because, well, you wound up having Josiah Gray get destroyed for six runs, so that it's to see too terrific, and this is an Astros lineup that it looks to be back in full fourth. Jose Altuve, now you go above a two fifty, got a sixth home run of the season yesterday, Alex Bregman is out, hitting With a north of 350 on base, Michael Brantley, 280 batting average. Kyle Tucker is hitting at 250. So, those are good signs, even with Martin Maldonado continuing to be a dead bat. And then when it comes to the Washington Nationals, you've got a couple guys that have been able to do a great job of be able to get on base, as you've got Cesar Hernandez, Mikel Franco, along with Kiber Ruiz. All these guys are in between a 262 to a 275. Juan Soto has been able to supply some power. He's got eight home runs and 11 RBI. So can someone get on base and turn those solo home runs into anything other than solo home runs? Josh Bell hitting about a 350 with a .440 on base. That has been solid. But Lane Thomas, Alcides Escobar. Victor Robles, these guys at the bottom of the lineup hitting a two twenty or lower has been bad and Nelson Cruz, he's hitting right around a buck seventy five. so this is a spot in which I am going to be willing to take the Houston Astros on the run line and with regards to my total, I set it at a 9.4, I really like the way that the Astros have been able to hit and got a couple guys at the top of the lineup for the Washington Nationals who have been solid with that regard as well, so looking at the over and I'm going to be taking a look at the Astros on the run line as long as I'm getting even money or better, 929, 930 on the banging board the Seattle Mariners are going to be in the road face off against the New York Metropolitans, Chris Bassett as you hook line and sinker for the Mets. And you've got George Kirby, who's going to be on the bump for Seattle. Total on this game is 7.5. The under is anywhere between minus 115, minus 120. Over is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're taking a look at the Mets, anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165 is your price. Meanwhile, with the Mariners, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 155. And I want to make in the Mets minus 178 on the money line. If you're looking at the run line, you're getting that anywhere between a plus 125 to a plus 130. I want to make it to where pretty much a plus 110 or greater. I was willing to take a shot here so I'm going to be willing to ride with it, especially with the Seattle Mariners not playing as many one-run games this season because the bullpen has been a little bit shaky. Drew's Second Rider right now is a north of a three-five ERA this season. He was very reliable for the team last season. Paul Sewald has been a little bit up and down for the team. Diego Castillo has just been an absolute hot mess. He's right now staring at an ERA that's right around nine. Whenever Matthew Festa has been out there, has not he been so great for them. And you do take a look at Kirby and in his first start, it was absolutely immaculate for this team. He winds up going. 6 scoreless settings, but you take a look at the minor league numbers, he was brought up very quickly, and I knew he was able to dazzle in that first start, but I do think that there's going to be a little bit of negative regression for him because he is going up against the best lineup that is one of the best out there in the big leagues. Now, one thing that is going to be helping out Mr. Kirby is that it's not necessarily super hot in New York at this time of the year, but I mean, with that said, you've got Pete Alonso sitting at 275. He's been able to slug out seven-plus home runs. Starling Marte is starting to get on base. 260 batting average, one of the best base dealers in baseball. Brandon Nimmo, Mark Hanna, both of these guys are in north of a 290. You've got Jeff McDale hitting well above a 300 as well. And for the Seattle Mariners, they've been dealing with a big injury to Mitch Haniger, which I feel like has went underreported because now you've had to go to a couple guys that are a little bit less than trustworthy. Steven Sosa Jr., Mike Ford, and Eugenio Suarez, Luis Torrance, Jared Kelnick. These guys are in a 200 or lower. Now, some of the guys at the top have been very solid. Adam Frazier is hitting a 265 for this team. Ty France, north of 20 RBI, 400 on base. J.P. Crawford has been hitting above a 300, but you're just expecting more out of someone like a Jesse Winker sitting right around 200 with Enoquino Suarez, six home runs, but batting average continues to be down And for the Mets. The bullpen is not necessarily what it was last season. They got rid of Aaron Loop. They got rid of Jersich Familia, so a couple big losses there, but you still have a couple guys like a Drew Smith, Jason Shreve that you're able to rely upon. Edwin D as yes, the former Mariner has been able to do a very good job of be able to close out game. So that has been very encouraging to see. Seth Lugo is able to give you multiple innings as well. So I did wind up making the Mets more in the neighborhood of a north of minus 170 favorite on the money line. Needed at least a plus 110 to be able to take the run line. So I'm going to be riding with that. I do think the Kirby gets lit up a little bit in the start of my total at a 7.8. So I'm looking over and I'm going to be taking a look at the Mets run line. And we wrap things up with 931, 932 on the bang board. The Colorado Rockies are going to be playing us to the Kansas City Royals. Carlos Hernandez is going to be going for the Royals, and Marquez is going to be going for the Rockies. Rockies are anywhere between minus 148 and minus 160 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at a plus price with Kansas City, anywhere between plus 138 and plus 145 is it. 10.5 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. I do mind saying my total at a 10.8, so I'm going to be taking a look at it over. Colorado is pretty much the only ballpark at this point that has been allowing for some high totals, and it's been a little bit volatile out there as well, but you take a look at the Rockies and the way that they have been able to hit At home this season, and it has been immaculate. CJ Crone right now has nine home runs, seven of them have come at home. Crone is hitting a 377 at home. And as a team, the Rockies going into Friday, we're hitting a 281 with a 348 on base at Coors Field. So it has been amazing to take a look at Connor Joe hitting a 320 at home. Randall Grichick in that neighborhood as well. All these guys have been able to do a great job of being able to get on base. And then you do take a look at the Colorado Rockies, and it's a bullpen that they actually perform a little bit better at home. Daniel Bart has been just so much better in Coors the last few seasons. He's been able to do a great job posting up right around 240 ERA home and road this season. Got someone like Robert Stevenson who pitches much better at home as well, and then you take a look at Irma Marquez, and it certainly has been a little bit of a rough go of it for him this season. He has got a 640-70, right, giving up three-plus runs in each out of his last five starts, but I do think that he's going to be able to hone in a little bit more against the Kansas City Royals team that, I'm going to call it what it is, it's been one of the worst offenses out there in the big leagues. You take a look at what they wanted trotting out there on Friday, and they had one guy with a batting average above a 240, and that would be Andrew Benettendi Salvador Perez has been able to give the team five home runs, but he, Carlos Santana, along with Michael A. Taylor, Nicky Lopez, with Merrifield, are all hitting a 2.20 or lower for this team. It looks like you're going to be up dealing with Ed Olivares, dealing with a little bit of an injury for the next few weeks. Alberto Mondesi has been able to stay healthy, and for the Royals the real shocking part has been, how bad the bullpen has been. I expected a lot more out of Josh Stamont this season. He's got a 4.50 ERA. It's been a case in which Joel Pianthus has been utilized a little bit too much. Taylor Clark is someone that's come in and held down the fort a little bit more for this team. A sub-2 ERA, but because the Royals started have been just so poopy this year. It has not been great. And you take a look at Carlos Hernandez. He has been a poopy starter. seven fifteen ERA. In 5 starts, Has won 22 and 2 thirds innings, going 5 innings or more just once this season, giving up at least 3 runs in every one of his starts. And it's not like he's giving up deep balls. 2 them runs given up in 22 and 2 thirds innings, but he has given up 12 walks in this time span. Only gotten 10 strikeouts. When you give up a lot of contact and you wind up playing at Coors Field, it is typically not going to go well for you with the Rockies. Set them as a minus 162 on the money line with the the run line. You're finding it anywhere between a plus 105 to a plus 110. This is a spot in which I would rather actually take the money line right around a minus 150, just because it is a case in which the Rockies can be a little bit shaky with their bullpen as well. I'm seeing a little bit more of an edge to the money line than the run line, so I'm going to wind up playing it safe. I'm not necessarily getting too much of a plus price on this run line either, so I'm going to be taking a look at the money line of the Rockies, and I'm willing to take a 10.5 over, and that'll wrap things up for the Saturday edition of the Baseball Betting Show. Now part of the Veason Family, a podcast. Big thanks to Joe a lot of FTM bets for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, baseball betting show, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore eighty one. Keep in mind, letters M. it does not matter. Size so per usual. Please send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. And that means i am coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.